Amen. Genesis chapter 2 today in your Bible. I'm going to read one passage of scripture there. If you want to stand for the reading of the word, by all means, amen. Those seats do get awful, awful comfortable, I know. Genesis 2, and then I'm going to read two verses today from Psalm chapter 80. And our prayers are with our pastor today as he ministers and uh, the Word of God in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee, is that how they say it? They, they had a funny accent up there. Amen. I guess if they're watching this, I just insulted them. I'm sorry about that. Praise God. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7 reads like this. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. I want you to notice with me there that there is no life without the breath that comes from God. The 80th Psalm, the Psalm writer says in verse 18, revive us, O God so that we can call upon your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face to shine down upon us, for only then will we be saved. Can you say amen? amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the spirit that we feel in this room. God, I thank you for the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Presence, God, that is with us. And I'm asking right now that you would open up every heart. Open up my heart today, God. Let your word wash me. Let your word change me. Let your spirit do something in me today, God, that I couldn't do for myself. God, revive us today, oh God. Revive our hearts today, Lord. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you today. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. I am, I don't know how you feel about this, but I am not a big, I'm not a big news guy. Not a big fan of the news. I don't watch a lot of it. I don't read a lot of it. Uh, I try to keep up. I, I try to keep up with current events. That is part of what we, what do we do? What I do, uh, but I, I don't, I don't get engrossed in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't let it define my world. There's some people that they let the news headlines of the day define their world. You know, you can always tell when they've been listening to a little much, a little too much talk radio, or you can all, you could now some of y'all pointing fingers at each other. Stop doing that, right? I don't, get, I don't get engrossed in it because, I guess it's because it's mostly bad news. It's mostly negative, not overall really conducive to a positive and faith-filled life, right? But over the past several weeks, I have paid a little bit more attention to the news than I normally do, and let's just say that I have readily been reminded of why I don't usually watch it and follow it. There's the Washington, D.C. political circus, there's the economy, there's wars, Apparently, we've got UFOs now. I don't, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Devastating earthquakes and tragedies, the proliferation of evil under the guise of entertainment. I've seen that. Pain, grief, seemingly at every turn, 
There's something going on, and I'm already getting depressed just talking about it. I sometimes find myself in utter amazement and disbelief at the fallen and sinful state of our world and our nation. It seems as though the fabric of our hearts have become saturated and stained by sin. Man's agenda has seemingly overruled God's law. We've elevated our own ideas and our own opinions above that which is holy and that which is true according to our Creator. And in doing all of this, we have eroded the very foundation on which we were established as a nation. It's with all of this in mind that I have long pondered this question. Can God rescue us from ourselves? Can God, will God, in his mercy, revive us from our own sin and death? Will God unleash a sweeping spiritual move that can fundamentally transform our nation? Will God help us find our way back to him before it's too late? As the prophet Habakkuk put it, he put it like this in Habakkuk chapter 3, God, will you remember mercy in the midst of wrath? But I had to tell you, as I was following the news this past week, I saw something that was so different than I was used to seeing. So different. They're calling it the Asbury Awakening, the Asbury Revival. You may not know this, but Wilmore, Kentucky is a small town of about 6,000 people located about 30 minutes outside of Lexington, Kentucky. The story goes, and I'm sure you've read about it and heard about it, that on Wednesday, February the 8th, at the conclusion of a weekly chapel service, there were two to three students who decided to stay and, and pray and tarry in the presence of the Lord. Later on that afternoon, they were joined by a few more students, then by a few more, until dozens of students found themselves worshiping and crying out to God without being prompted, without being provoked, without any hype, without any of that. They found themselves simply tarrying in the presence of Almighty God. Night turned into day. Day turned into night. But the worship and the prayer continued. Reports of an outpouring begin to spread. People from all over the nation and later all, all over the world begin to start showing up. No, no celebrities, no big name preachers, no productions, no personalities, no gimmicks. Just tired, broken people who were hungry for more of God. My God. And of course, true to your Bible and mine, when humanity hungers and thirsts for righteousness, I mean really, truly desires it, the Bible says, guess what happens? God fills them. Right? God fills them. I think sometimes we tend or we need to be reminded that God will show up wherever and whenever he's invited. Yeah. Because all it takes is for two or three to gather in his name. And the Bible says that he will be in their midst. I know that's a good preaching point. I understand that. But what I want us to know today is that that's a true statement. 
That's not just a statement to get us excited. That's a statement that we ought to strive after and live after and believe every single day of our life. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And for 11 straight days, today's the 11th day, God has been dwelling in the midst of people who were hungry for him. To revive simply means to renew, to make operative again, or to give life and restore conscience. The Bible declares that God formed man out of the dust of the earth. A sovereign and all-powerful God who had created all living things with just the spoken word felt the need to go the extra mile for his final and most important creation. He would create man, but not with the spoken word. He would create man with his own two hands. As that dirty, lifeless human form lay there on the ground, God decided to give it life. But rather than saying the words or rather than even using his hands, this time God leaned down from heaven and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Much like a frontline medical worker might do mouth-to-mouth during CPR to revive a lifeless patient, God symbolically reaches down and puts his mouth on man's nostrils and breathes, giving man consciousness and giving man life where there formerly was no life. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know today that humanity cannot truly live until the breath of God has been breathed upon him. Mm. We can't properly live until God breathes on us. By the close of the 17th century, the moral and spiritual condition of the American colonies had fallen into question. There was apathy toward the things of God. Culture was eroding. Sin was abounding. And this land was in spiritual darkness. It was becoming increasingly obvious that we were in extreme danger of perishing in our own sin. Yet desperate for the Lord's grace and mercy, there were a few hungry believers that began to devote themselves in prayer and fasting for revival. When they did this, history records that something miraculous began to happen. Preachers began to preach passionately under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Broken, hungry lives begin to cry out to God and seemingly out of nowhere, millions of people that had previously wanted nothing to do with God suddenly desired to hear the gospel and were compelled to obey it. It's true. And from 1700 to about 1760, a land that was not even a nation yet experienced the very first great awakening. It was men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers that were prominent in leading the effort as God responds to the cries of desperate people who were dramatically transforming individuals and families and cities and reviving this land spiritually. And it was that spiritual revival that created the moral climate for what you and I know as the Declaration of Independence. The founding of a new country conceived in liberty that would become a light to all nations. 
I want to tell you today that America was given life via the breath of God. God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of our nation and she won her independence not only with debate, not only with decree, and not only with bloodshed, but with faith in and with consecration to Almighty God. Might I remind us today that our country was birthed on the heels of a great spiritual revival. Our nation became great because of our dependence and our faith in God. But sadly, after a long, hard revolutionary war, many Americans once again begin drifting away from God. Spiritual devotion begin to wane. Social problems begin to proliferate. Alcoholism, unfaithfulness, they skyrocketed. Greed and pride gripped the hearts of man. The family unit began to break down and culture began to proclaim that Christianity as they knew it was dead as the body of faith lay lifeless in America. And yet around 1800, a renewed spiritual hunger began to grow. People recognized the state of our union. They began to consecrate themselves again toward God and more and more began to join the ranks. A powerful spiritual revival began to sweep over the nation's landscape. It seemed that God had one more time breathed into a lifeless body as hungry people began to awaken out of their spiritual slumber. Once dead churches begin to teem with life, once absent morality begin to spring up in critical areas, the family unit was emphasized. God, spirit begin to be poured out. It was men like Francis Asbury, who's the namesake of the college in Kentucky. It was men like Timothy Dwight, Charles Finney. They led millions of people in repentance, prayer and fasting, seeking God for a breath of revival. They yielded themselves to God and sought to put their faith in action, seeing their neighborhoods and their cities revived. And when they did, God took a spiritually lame and morally dead nation and breathed the breath of new life into it. And from 1800 to about 1850, America experienced its second great awakening. Oh, I, I, I think I can safely say today that our nation is ready for yet another breath from our Creator's lungs. Mm. I think it's okay to say that while the world around us is pulling apart at the seams and it appears that hope is fading into the history books, I can stand here today on this Sunday morning and declare to you that there is still yet hope. Not hope in man, not hope in government, not hope in a system. No, we don't hope in any of those things. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God is looking for somebody, anybody who will be willing to say, I'm not going to stop praying till he breathes on me. I'm not going to stop praising him till he breathes on me. I'm not going to stop tarrying until he breathes on me. Revive us, O oh God! Revive us, O oh God! And so all throughout the Psalms, David and the other psalmists, they write a lot about the need to be revived by the Lord, both personally and 
for Israel as a nation because a nation cannot be revived corporately until its citizens are revived personally. Mm. Oh, I might need to say that again. I said a nation cannot be revived corporately until you and I are revived personally. Yeah, yeah. The Psalm we read in our text, Psalm 80, it was not written by David. It was written by a psalmist named Asaph. Asaph was a Levite. He was appointed by David as chief musician in the temple. He was a skilled lyricist and a worshiper of Jehovah. Asaph is responsible for approximately 24 of the Psalms that you read in your Bible. And the one that we referenced in Psalm 80 in particular, it's actually a song. It's a song of lament as the writer is pleading for God's mercy and grace to be upon his nation, Israel. That's right. He likens God's people in this psalm to a vine. A vine that has been separated from its root. A type and shadow, if you will, of a modern day church that has been separated from God. The plea in our text is that God as the husbandman would return to the vine that he would revisit the vine and show mercy to it and revive the vine, making it fruitful once again. The psalmist writes, he says, revive us, O God, so we can call upon your name once more. Turn again, he says, turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face to shine upon us for only then only then will we truly be saved. A song of lament, a fruitless and withered nation who once sought its own way, its own source. Now it cries out for help. It desperately calls for the very root that it cut itself off from. It longs for the fruit that it couldn't bring about on its own. The song of a nation so desperate to be revived by God. And I can't help but wonder today if such a song exists for you and me. I've long wondered if there is yet a nation that will cry out for mercy and grace of the husbandmen to return. I've long wondered if there's a people who would consecrate themselves again unto God and attach themselves to the root whereby we may live. Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. The branch cannot bear fruit except it be connected to the vine. Abide in me, he said, and you will ask what you will and it shall be done. Abide in my love and keep all of my commandments for you have not chosen me, says God. Oh, I think sometimes we think we chose him. I think sometimes we forget that I, I, I'm saved because I chose to be saved. I'm, I'm, I'm delivered because I chose that. No, my friend, we did not choose God. God chose us. I was dead in my trespass and sin. I was bound for hell. I didn't have any hope, but he chose me. Mm. He said, I've chosen you and I've ordained you that you should bear fruit 
and that your fruit should remain. I know that it seems that the vines of this nation have been severed from the root on which it was founded. I know. I've seen enough bad news. I've read enough articles with things that make me frustrated. I, I've gotten caught up in all of that before, but I, I've come today with a word of hope. I've come today with a message that boldly declares that I believe that we can be connected to the root. I believe that we can be awakened out of our slumber. We can, Brother Graves, be forgiven of our sin. We can see miracles happen. We can see people turn their hearts back toward God. We can be fruitful, God-fearing people once again. We can be revived. Oh, but it's going to take a people that are willing to cry out to God and say, God, revive us one more time. It's going to take somebody that will consecrate themselves before the Lord in prayer. It's going to take somebody to make a conscious effort toward God. It's going to take people that will say, I don't care what the rest of the world does. I'm going to tarry until he shows up. Oh, Lord, don't let me ever be content with three songs and a sermon. God, don't ever, don't ever let me become content with the production. Don't ever let me get too comfortable in my comfortable seats. Don't, don't, don't ever let me get, don't ever let me get content for showing up at this time and leaving at this time and I got to beat somebody out to frishes otherwise I won't get in. Don't, don't let me get content with all that. But God, I want to stick around as long as you're in the room. God, I want to be in your presence. God, I want you to move. I need you to revive me. Oh, revive us, oh Lord. Oh, God, we hunger for you. God, we thirst. When was the last time that you let your hunger run away with you? Oh, when was the last time that you got so thirsty for God? When was the last time that you put your nose in the carpet and you said, God, I'm not getting up until you move on me? I got to tell you, that's the posture of revival. That's the posture of revival. God said that he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. To the humble. To the humble. Before Joshua led the children of Israel to Jericho, the Bible says that an angel met him in the way. And Joshua being in the presence of God knelt before that angel. And before he knew it, Brother Duvall, he wasn't just kneeling before that angel, but the Bible says that he put his face in the ground. He put his face in the ground and he tarried there until the angel said he could get up. Oh, oh. oh. I would submit to you today that there is no walking around the walls of Jericho without somebody putting their face in the ground. 
There is no walls coming down without somebody having a prayer meeting, without somebody getting a hold of God and saying, God, I'm going to tarry in your presence until you revive me. Jacob wrestled all night long with God. God, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I'm not going to get up from this place. I'm not going to quit wrestling with you. I'm not going to leave it alone. What's he doing? He's tarrying. He's tarrying. He's tarrying all night. If it takes all, oh my God, whatever happened to the all night prayer meeting? God, if I've got to tarry all night, don't let me go till you bless me. Don't let me go till you revive me. Don't let me go till you've done what you want to do. Oh God, revive me. Oh God. So I go back to my question today. Will God, in his grace and mercy, decide to allow us to experience a third awakening in this nation? The conditions certainly seem to be right. Our hearts are crying out for it. Just look around. I know it didn't start. I know this week, I, I know Asbury's not an apostolic school, but that's not a condition. I may never get asked to preach again, but I'll just say it. It's not a condition. He said, if my people, if, 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 it's up to you, it's up to me, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. Oh. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, it doesn't matter who it is, if they hunger and thirst, they will be filled. Oh. Oh. But they didn't have a licensed minister in the pulpit. So what? God doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. He'll do it without us. But God is looking for somebody that is hungry. He's looking for somebody that is thirsty. He is drawn to broken people. He's drawn to sacrifice. God, help me to get on my face. Help me to find my way into your presence. Revive me, oh God. Oh. We say, Lord, Send revival and let it start in me. I, I'm not sure if we really mean that or not, but you can sing a lie just like you can say a lie. Yeah. God, if you're going to move, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. I, I don't want to miss it. God, I, pass me not, my gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, God, do not pass me by. Oh, <laughs> revive us, O oh God. 
Are the conditions right? Will the Lord of heaven's armies revive his people once again? Come with good news today. Are you okay? All right? Because all indications in your Bible is that God indeed is prepared to revive his people once again. Yeah. He's ready. We ain't waiting on him. He's waiting on us. Sad day when the apostolic church gets out apostolic. Listen, I've been convicted all week. I was so convicted, Brother Purdy, that I showed up for men's prayer on Saturday. That's just me. And there was a lot of other men that did, thank God. But I've been convicted all week. I said, God, you don't need me to preach on Sunday. You can handle it. And he said, I might just do that. He said, but you better be prepared just in case. God wants to move. God wants to move. He wants to move in this room. He wants to move in your house. He wants to move in your neighborhood. He wants to move in your part of town. He wants to move on your job and in your family. God wants to move. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he began to quote the Old Testament prophet Joel. Yeah. And this is what he said. This is Acts chapter 2 via Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God said, I will. I mean, are we living in the last days? I think we are. I feel like we are. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon who? All people. When he says all, I I looked it up, it means all. That's one of them fancy Greek things, you wouldn't get it. It says all people, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, in those days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, uh, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And verse 21 says, and everyone, look at your neighbor and say, that means you. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, (laughs) I don't know about you today, but that's, that's good news in a world gone mad. Yeah. I said, that's good news in a world gone mad. That's what my spirit needs to hear when my eyes and ears are seeing and hearing so many other things. I can't decipher what's real from what's not real. Oh, but all I need to know is that God has promised that he wouldn't leave us, he wouldn't forsake us, but that he would revive us in the midst of our enemy. Oh, God, allow us to sing in a strange land. Oh, that gives me hope today. But here's the question. 
Brother Enos, how do we access that? That all sounds really good, Pastor, but how do I get some of that? How do I get in on that? Well, let me give you a couple of tools that might help you today. Prophet Malachi said, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Yeah, says the Lord. God said, if you'll return to me first, if you'll make the first move, then I'll reciprocate, says God, and I'll return to you. We need to know that it works the same way with being revived. God wants you and I to know that if we will revive some spiritual things, that he will in turn revive you and I. If we can manage to draw nigh unto him, then the word says he'll reciprocate and he'll draw nigh unto us. How do we do that? Besides more, well, listen, I want to tell you, revival's not a man-made thing. You can't manufacture it. Lord knows we've all tried, right? You can't sing the right songs to get revival. You can't preach the right sermon to get revival. You can't have the right technology to get revival. No, only revival only happens when people collectively turn their hearts and faces toward God. When they cry out to him, when they consecrate to him, there's no other formula. There's no other way. So whether it's a personal revival that you seek or a revival in your family or a revival in your community or a revival in your city or our church, let me give you three things that'll help you to access and to be revived. Number one, we are revived by consecration. Everybody say consecration. Not concentration, consecration. The same prophet that gave the promise of revival also gave the blueprint for how it, to come to how it would come to pass. Joel gave that promise in Joel chapter two, but the recipe for it came from Joel chapter one. He said, blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. Call people to action. Call people to action and remind them that the Lord is returning soon and urge them to make their relationship with God a priority. Oh, I wonder what would happen if we made our relationship with God a priority. Yeah. God said through the prophet, if you want to be revived, consecrate a fast unto me. Urge people to stop doing their normal thing. Make serving God more important than eating, more important than sleeping, more important than entertainment, more important than social media, more important than all the other things that are going on in the world. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, he said, take your eyes off the distractions and look straight ahead. Fix your attention on what lies before you. Make a straight path for your feet and don't get sidetracked by what you see. Oh, some of us need to make that a life goal today. Yeah. And that's exactly what we've done. We've We've become distracted by who's saying what and who's doing what and by, by this and by that and opinions and pundits and, and Solomon and Joel and even Jesus said, you need to get that stuff and set it aside. Lay aside those weights that so easily beset you and say, God, if I'm, if I'm not going to allow myself to fall, I'm not going to allow myself to fall prey to the destruction of the enemy. 
God said, if you want to be revived, sanctify yourselves to me. Set yourself apart. Purify yourself. Stop sinning and start seeking me in prayer. Don't just rend your garments, rend your hearts. I think we get that backwards sometimes. He said, don't just, don't just rend your, your garments, render your hearts unto me. Humble yourself, cry out to me, seek me with all your heart. Spend time with me, says the Lord. Oh, the second way that we can be revived is not only by consecration, I almost said concentration again. Not only by consecration, but it's by the word of God. We talked about David's psalmist Asaph, but, but it was a combination of other psalmists that wrote Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, but it's one of the most powerful. In it, they declare the power of the word of God to revive and restore mankind. He said the psalmist in Psalm 119 and 25, revive me, O God, according to your word. (sighs) And another 10 times in that chapter, they ask God to use the word to revive them. We gotta understand today that the word of God is life. We need the word of God to sustain us and to keep us. We need to eat the word of God. We need to drink the word of God. We need to breathe the word of God in and let it breathe new life into our weary soul. God help us. David said, when you learn to delight in the the word of the Lord, then you too will become like a tree planted by the rivers of water that shall not be moved. Oh God, let your word revive my weary soul. The third way that we can be revived, and I'm, 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 I'm landing the plane. The third way that we can be revived is by the Spirit of God. Oh, the book of Acts Church, much like us, they lived in an uncertain and unstable environment. You think the news reports are bad today, You should probably go back and read some of the world headlines going on back in the book of Acts. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty tough place to be. Believers were fearful of Rome. They had to learn to navigate a world around them that was motivated by power and greed. And it was in that, that national environment that a small group of Jews gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem. Jesus told them to go and tarry for the promise that he would send it. But if you study that out, they didn't just tarry for two hours on a Sunday. No, they didn't just tarry for an hour and 20 minutes on a Wednesday night. They didn't just tarry for a day or two. No, if you study it out, they likely tarried for weeks or maybe a month or maybe more. They tarried, they, they sang, they prayed, they worshiped. It would be reminiscent of the videos that you've seen this week. Nobody's in charge, nobody's preaching. Peter didn't even get up and preach until the Holy Ghost fell. Yeah, they were just tarrying. They were just tarrying, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord there in that upper room amidst all of the things going on around them. They meditated on the word of God. They were gathered in one accord. And the Bible says that as they tarried, that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. 
And it was like a, mush, a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And before they could identify what it even was, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened, Brother Sizemore? Let me tell you what happened. A group of well-intentioned but lifeless believers set their hearts toward God, consecrated themselves, obeyed the Word of God, and God breathed the breath of life into them. They were revived by the Spirit of God. A sleeping religious system that had no life and no power was suddenly given life and power, turned upside down and awakened by the Spirit of Almighty God. Oh, I want Tree of Life Church today to know and to understand that anyone else and anybody else that's hearing this today, that we do not serve a dead God. We, 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 don't, we don't ascribe to a dead religion. We don't pander to a dead culture. No, Paul told the church at Ephesus, you hath he quickened. What does that mean, quicken? It means revive. You hath he revived who was dead in your trespass and sin. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, whereby he loved us, even when we were dead and even when sin had overtaken us, he revived us together with Christ and made us to sit in heavenly places. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? We need to let the breath of heaven blow on us one more time. We need to let the breath of our creator blow on us one more time. We need to let the spirit of God spring up like a well of living water. Spring up a well. Spring up a well. We need to pray like we've never prayed. We need to worship like we've never worshiped. We need to sing like we've never sang. We need to preach like we've never preached. We need to serve like we've never served. And we need to love like we've never loved. God, awaken your people once again. Revive us, oh God. Would you stand with me today? I want you to hear me. I thank God. I thank God for the 1901 revival that happened in Topeka, Kansas. It, it, it started when the Holy Ghost was poured out at a Bible college, right? Akin to what's happening in, in Kentucky. The Topeka, Kansas revival gave birth to the modern Pentecostal movement. And I'm thankful for that, I really am. But that was over 120 years ago. We need to be revived again. I love it. I thank God for it. But I can't hang my hat on it. I said I love Azusa Street. I do. I thank God for it. I, it. I thank God it started when some people got hungry for more of God and gave birth to the modern apostolic church. And I'm thankful for it. 
but that was over a hundred years ago. I can't hang my hat on that anymore. I need to be revived. I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh move of God. The church, just like the world around us today, is due to be revived. (laughs) Don't think that you're exempt just because you affiliate with a certain group. No. Don't think that he he couldn't be talking about me because I've got this kind of pedigree and this kind of thing and and I've got a, no, 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 my friend. If you're walking in shoe leather today, you need to be revived. I need to be revived. Revive me, oh God. Look around you today, God God is proving to us that he's willing The question is, are you and I ready? Are you and I ready? They're about to sing a song right now and I feel like somebody ought to flood this altar today. Come on, is there anybody here that says, God, I'm not exempt from it all. God, I need a fresh anointing. I need a revival. I want you to revive me, oh God. God, I want to tarry where you are. God, I want to be in your presence, God. I want to see a miracle, God. God, I want want you to do in me what you did for them. Oh, come on, will anybody cry out to the Lord today? Come on, will anybody cry out to the Lord?